Takes is a podcast from BCA Research, informing investors with straightforward, actionable analysis of macro and market events. Hi there, and welcome back to the Quick Takes podcast. I'm your host, Rakaya Ibrahim, strategist at BCA Research. It's been a rough year for equities globally, but stocks have recently started rallying over the past few weeks. So a natural question facing investors is whether or not these recent gains are part of a bear market rally that will be short-lived, or if they mark the beginning of a more sustainable move higher. This week, my colleague Doug Pita is joining me on the podcast to give his take on the durability of the recent U.S. equity rally. Doug heads up BCA's U.S. investment strategy service and is among the more bullish strategists at the firm. So stick around to hear what he has to say about whether or not there's scope for U.S. stocks to continue climbing higher. Welcome to the podcast, Doug. It's great to have you on. Thanks a lot, Rikai. Okay, so lately, one of the most frequent questions that have come up in our internal discussions at BCA is around the question of how durable will the current rally in equities be? There are the bears among us and there are the bulls. And Doug, you are decisively in the bullish camp. And that reflects your more optimistic take on the near-term outlook for the U.S. economy. Now, given that consumption accounts for two-thirds of GDP in the U.S., your economic view naturally implies that you're also positive on American households' willingness and their ability to spend over this period. So I think that's a good place to start. What are the forces that you expect will support consumption over the coming months? So I really like the framework of the, the willingness and the ability. Because spending is really driven, we find, by two things, by income and by wealth. When it comes to drivers of income, I think we can reduce that to employment. And one series we have been looking at very closely is aggregate weekly earnings. Aggregate weekly earnings take the number of people that are working, they multiply it by how much they make each week, and that gives us the aggregate weekly earnings number. That is growing at its fastest clip since the mid-1980s. Wage gained, and again, that's a, a product of wages and the number of people who are working. Both wage gains and payroll expansion are decelerating, but they are both still elevated and leading indicators like the job openings and job quits rates and initial unemployment claims suggest that they will remain at an elevated level for the foreseeable future. So we conclude that income is strong. It's decelerating. It's going to grow at a slower rate, but it is going to continue to grow at an elevated rate relative to history. Then there's wealth. From a wealth perspective, all but the lowest income households are swimming in cash. As the Fed's distributional financial accounts data indicate, that data separates households into five quintiles. And only that lowest quintile does not have multiples of the bank deposits that they had as of December 31, 2019, before the pandemic arrived. Our own estimate of aggregate excess savings is still sitting above $1.6 trillion. 
since we estimate that those excess savings are being depleted at a rate of about $75 billion a month, the savings buffer that is providing households with an additional ability to consume is poised to outlast the expansion. So both the drivers, income and wealth, are strong and we believe they'll both remain strong for the foreseeable future. In the retail sales data that just came out for October, that surprised to the upside and that seems to support this hypothesis that at least in nominal terms, consumers are continuing to spend in the US. Uh, Now, in the coming two weeks, we also get some updates on uh, consumer sentiment from the conference board, as well as the University of Michigan surveys. uh, And we're going to get the personal income and outlays report as well. So what is or what are the data points that you will be scrutinizing most closely to either confirm or refute your hypothesis that U.S. consumption will continue to hold up going forward? We have been watching the savings rate from the personal income data at the end of the month that you mentioned very closely as a proxy for consumers' willingness to spend. So the potent income growth and the mountain of excess savings households have accumulated indicates they have the capacity to keep consuming. What's unknown is whether they will have the willingness to do so. So far this year, they have. And the savings rate has made that crystal clear that from 2011 through 2019, which we like to think of as the post-crisis pre-pandemic baseline, the savings rate was around 7.5%, and it was very stable around that average. You didn't have it falling much below 7.5%. You didn't have it rising much above 7.5% for that entire nine-year period. This year, we've never been as high as 5%. It was in the high fours in January. Since March, and we only have the data through September, so it's seven months, March through September, it's been between 3 and 3.8%. And it's really been hovering very close to 3%. It was 3 in June when it made its bottom. It was 3.1 in September. It's been in the low threes ever since. For us, that is confirmation of the thesis that households have the willingness to spend. And consumer retrenchment, consumers circling the wagons, being unwilling to tap that capacity, is the number one threat to our constructive view. The data point, again, that we are looking at most closely is the savings rate. If we see that rising to 6 7%, we'll take that as refutation of our thesis that households have the willingness to deploy those excess savings. To this point, they have been avidly dipping into that pool, and we think it will continue but we are alert to any change in that trend. The savings rate is number one. And then of course, income is very important too. So we are also, as as I mentioned in the first question, looking at initial claims and we are looking at non-farm payrolls. We look real closely at initial claims because they are the best leading indicator of payroll expansion or payroll contraction. For now, they look good. Our model goes out about three months. And we are confident in saying that we believe the strength in the labor market, the expansion of payrolls, is going to persist for at least another three months.
So that's the argument from the economic standpoint. But of course, what investors care more about is how does that translate into implications for corporate earnings and ultimately financial markets? So on that point, how do you believe your assessment of the outlook for consumption differs from what's being discounted in financial markets? You are absolutely right that, you know, to, to focus on corporate earnings, that's where the rubber really meets the road. And as you know, we often say with MBCA, we don't care about the economy for the economy's sake. The economy and our analysis of the world's major economies at BCA is merely a means for us to anticipate where financial markets are going. In this case, that economic analysis is real tied to corporate earnings in the, the simple chain that I'm going to describe. So the consumption thesis matters because, as you mentioned at the top, consumption is around two-thirds of U.S. GDP. We believe that the you know, households flush with cash facing a lot of demand for their labor and having a willingness to consume, as evidenced by that rock bottom low savings rate, means that consumption ought to be robust enough to keep the economy from falling below stall speed, to keep the economy from falling into a recession. Now, again, recession itself doesn't matter. Recession only matters to the extent that it affects corporate earnings and throughout history, there is a very close connection between recessions and declines in earnings. Big declines in S&P 500 earnings per share always coincide with recessions. And you know, kind of rule of thumb, 20 to 25% decline in S&P 500 earnings per share is what we ought to expect when we have a recession. So it is very important for markets whether or not we're going to have a recession and when. The crux of the way our, our constructive consumer thesis relates to being constructive on financial markets and asset allocation is that if you get consumption right in the United States, you have a very good chance of getting the U.S. economy right. So. We believe consumption is going to hold up, that it is going to be close enough to trend in inflation-adjusted terms or real terms to keep real GDP somewhere around 2%. Right now, we just broke below 8% year-over-year CPI, but we have prices increasing, you know, at least per that measure, by whatever it was in October, 7.7%, something very close to 8%. Let's say for the third quarter, and I'm just picking a number here, we're trying to pick something that's deliberately conservative, trying to deliberately lowball it. Let's say inflation's going to be 6% year over year in the fourth quarter. If we have growth around 2%, that means real growth. That means nominal GDP growth is going to be around 8%. We believe that nominal GDP growth is a very good proxy for nominal S&P 500 revenue growth. If we have revenues growing by 8% year over year in the fourth quarter, and let's say we have 4% inflation in the first quarter of 2023, 
which would imply 6% nominal revenue growth. That's pretty good. That's pretty good for earnings. If companies have any sort of operational leverage, they should be able to translate those really large revenue gains into, if not earnings gains, not much of a decline in earnings. Most certainly, we believe corporate margins are going to narrow. But what we believe in the U.S. investment strategy team is that they are going to narrow by less than markets are discounting because, let's go back to the, to the notion that if you get the consumer right, you're likely to get the U.S. economy right. That same sort of framework, given that compensation is every single business's largest expense component, if you get compensation right, the direction of compensation right, you are and the magnitude, you are likely to get the direction and magnitude of margin contraction or margin expansion right. And therefore, you're likely to get EPS right. I know we don't have time to cover this in the podcast, but you know, the heart of the matter is that the U.S. investment strategy team believes that the potential for a wage price spiral in the United States is negligible. It seems very clear that markets are discounting a much higher probability of a wage price spiral and that therefore markets are discounting a worse margin compression than we expect in the near term. So therefore, we think corporate earnings, S&P 500 earnings, are going to hold up better in the fourth quarter of 2022, in the first quarter of 2023, and the second quarter of 2023 than markets expect. And if they do that, then we believe, when you get into investment strategy, that institutional money managers will be forced to pursue somewhat more risk-friendly asset allocations because otherwise their relative performance is going to suffer. So then I take it that what you're recommending to your clients right now is to stay bullish on equities into the second first half of next year and then around mid-2023 is when you would recommend for them to take a more cautious approach. Is that how you would characterize it? That's exactly right. And full disclosure, settling on that middle of 2023 inflection point is really a matter of licking my finger and holding it up to the wind. We don't know, but we are confident that markets have gotten overly bearish and that their estimated time of arrival for the recession and therefore for the step function decline in S&P 500 earnings is at least two, three, four quarters ahead of schedule. And that, you know, they will, <laughs> investors will therefore be forced to course correct and become more bullish themselves. And that that can drive a meaningful rally sometime in the next three to six months. So yes, we are bullish in the near term. We expect a meaningful rally in the next three to six months. And then we're leaning pretty bearish for 12 months out because we think that rally sets up markets for an even larger fall, 
once the recession and that step function decline in corporate earnings really arrive. Well, thank you very much for joining me today, Doug, and sharing your views on the podcast. And I hope you do join me again uh, in the near future. Maybe we can have a discussion about um, your views on the potential for a wage price viral. Thank you very much, Rikai. I'd be happy to be back. And I do think it's important to hear the bullish side of the story within BCA. And there are not many of us. A dwindling group. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks a lot. Sure thing. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Quick Takes podcast. We'll be bringing you weekly Quick Takes with BCA strategists on a range of macro and market topics. Next week, I will catch up with my colleague Irene Tunkel for a conversation about some of her structural equity themes. Irene heads up BCA's U.S. Equity Strategy Service, and although, unlike Doug, she is skeptical about the near-term equity rally, she has highlighted some pockets of opportunities within U.S. stocks that she believes are poised to do well over a longer-term horizon. So stay tuned.